0: Welcome to ADHD flourishing about living awesomely with autism and ADHD. You deserve recognition for both the challenges and the superpowers of this unique neurotype. Let's celebrate wisdom and support from real life stories and talk strategies to manage the difficulties of day-to-day life so we can move beyond that to thriving and building a sustainable and awesome life. If you want to be here, you are accepted here and you belong. I'm your Audi HD host, Mattia Murray. Let's do this. Welcome to my guest, Andrew Simonet. I am so excited to have him here. He's somebody I've been following his work for a long time. I got a grant a few years ago from Mass Mocha, maybe four years ago. And part of what I received in the grant was Andrew's book and workbook uh, that I was supposed to work through for artists. And it was so impactful. And then I took a course with him. So he's been very uh foundational i feel like in building in particular the artist side of my business and like it was a it was a real turning point for me in feeling like that was actually possible as opposed to just banging my head against the wall of grant applications <laughs> forever <laughs> uh which he, he's nodding vigorously um so part of the reason i wanted to invite him on is that i know we have a lot of artists and you know self-funded and small business artists listening and I also think this is useful for anybody freelancing or, you know, kind of making their own way in the world. And then also I'm obsessed with Andrew's email list. So we will absolutely be linking <laughs> to that. Every time I get the email, I'm just like, I wish I could make everyone read this and then we could talk about it. Cause I just, I feel every time I'm just like, yes, this is like what I've been saying, just but privately in my own grumblings about the art world. So, yeah. Um, I also well first, do you have anything you would like to add about yourself? Um, how you're thinking about yourself right now? Obviously, I know you have a dance background.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you so much, Mattia. It's a it's a pleasure. I um, come from the dance world. I ran a dance company here in Philly. Uh, we're also both in Philly. Ran a dance company here in Philly for 20 years called Headlong, and we made a lot of kind of experimental work and participatory work and work out in the, in the city. And I left there 10 years ago to focus on writing. I write novels and I have a big stack of the manuscript right here (laughs) waiting for me. Yeah. And my second novel came out a year ago and it was, it's about two siblings who are different neurotypes. And I have a sibling who's very different neurotype from me. And it's kind of about the magic and wildness of that relationship.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. And I have not read that book yet, but I'm <laughs> very excited to. And also, that's one of my personal career goals is to have is to, is to be able to make space to write more books. Mm. Because that's a thing that I love doing. And I have not published anything yet. I just keep writing books and putting them away and not doing anything <laughs> with them. And uh, that's a personal problem that I will deal with later. <laughs> but the, I mean, the first question that I have for you, just if you would like to say anything about it is just how you think about your own neurotype. Because one of the things that I I imagine you might experience with your sort of total family is that you probably have a lot of experiences that for a long time, you didn't put a label on, I'm assuming. And I'm just curious how you are thinking about your neurotype now, if you want to
1: share um, that. Great. Great question. Jump right in. Yeah, so my uh, youngest child is ADHD. And it also turns out my wife is ADHD, which is a very recent. I mean, both are fairly recent, but that's very recent. And it's part of why I've been binge listening to your amazing podcast. And my younger brother, much younger than me growing up, he's autistic. He has some other, he has a seizure disorder. He's a nonverbal guy. He, And this was in the 80s when the discussion was really different and absolutely propelled me into thinking about my own neurotype, which is definitely, I don't think is, uh, well, neurotypical. I don't know what neurotypical is. I feel like my brain works in ways that I've learned to direct. I've learned to direct some of the superpowers and I've learned to mitigate some of what I think are uh, challenges. And I don't have a label or a diagnosis that I put on it. I, I have taken a lot of like tests being like, I wonder if I'm this. I really don't register anything on the autism test, despite my best efforts. I can't get any points in that test. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm super holistic. It's like, all right, all right, damn it. Uh, you know, we, I, I did this project for a while. Asking people like if there are little habits and things in their head and body that they do constantly without necessarily acknowledging or talking about or telling other people about. I have many, many. And we call them Paggies because one of my collaborators, grandmother, used to call them Paggies. And that's something that I have a lot of. We also found that many, many people have these, and we started collecting them. It's a really beautiful thing. People counting things, drumming things, turning letters into numbers. Um, I do patterns with my teeth there's all kinds of things. And I think of that as, um, I think of that as one of the ways for my brain to be in neutral and not be like speeding down the highway all the time. And there isn't always a place to put what's happening in my brain. And so those are some of the holders. So I think if I, if I had to name myself, I would say I'm an holistic person with a lot of internal stimming and soothing going on.
0: I love that. And something I haven't really talked about too much on the podcast, but that i talk privately to people about all the time is how these labels for neurodivergence have some utility, obviously, and, and some meaning. It's not that there's nothing there. And at the same time, there's obviously, first of all, so much more going on in the human brain experience and the diversity of human brain experience that is not being reflected by the idea of neurotypicality. And I I'm I'm pretty much right now where I'm at with that is I don't think neurotypicality exists. I don't think it's a meaningful construct. I think what it's trying to get at is sort of the toxic elements of our culture that are saying there's only one way to be. But what is that way and who is that? I don't I don't know a lot. I mean, to be fair, I'm I'm in a bubble, but you know, I don't know a lot of people who I would really even like a couple of my best friends over time who are not autistic and not ADHD. Like they're they're as neurotypicals you can be compared to me, they still, I don't know, they they don't have what I think of as the neurotypical brands. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know who that is, but. Um. <laughs>
1: <Amen>. <laughs> and that's part of what I find so inspiring about, I mean, this whole movement around autism and neurodivergence, which, you know, it was very quiet in the 80s in terms of people uh, people self-advocating, you know, there were outsiders mm-hmm. and, and holistic people advocating. But that movement has been incredibly transformational for me because it is, I don't know, it feels it feels like an emancipation movement that is about challenging things about capitalism and colonialism and all these things and realizing that whatever we call neurotypical is this everyone is doing all of this work <laughs> to fit into a thing that no one feels a part of because that's what the systems want. And just throwing the light on that that labor and that constant effort has been I, I just really i'm so grateful for folks like you leading that charge because it's changing everybody's life i feel like
0: and i feel like part of why i mean for example i saw a poll recently that said uh i can't remember what the age cutoff was but it was it was looking at you know people college age and younger uh and that 50 percent of them identify as neurodivergent yeah so again like what is the <laughs> I, I think know. part of part of why this Appeals to so many people is exactly what you just laid out. It's the labor that we're all doing. And we feel that. We feel the intensity of the work we're doing to try to fit in. And it's not working because capitalism is so fucking broken right now that no matter how hard you work, it is basically impossible to, without some like very specific conjunctions of luck and privilege, it's basically impossible to get into a position where you can crawl out of the hole at this point for most people. And so people are feeling that pressure and they're like, well, yeah this feels, everything feels terrible to me. Like I don't fit in at work. I'm having trouble communicating. How do you make friends? Like, how do you make a career work? And it's like all of these outside forces probably, you know, and and then also, you know, there's a lot of overlap with trauma and a lot of people are traumatized because of all the things Mm -hmm. we just are talking about. So (laughs) there's this whole big mess of things that I, I totally get why so many people resonate with this experience of my brain doesn't work. Like people seem to think, my brain should work, and I'm not able to make my life work in a way that works for me, so like what the fuck yeah. <laughs> How do <we> do that? <laughs> and I don't have an answer to that question, but i i do, I hope I'm making space for people to ask that question,
1: oh, but you do I mean your answer is you're not broken and you're not alone, and that's like everything, and that's all that i the work I do with artists too is just like you're not screwing this up <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. These systems are working as intended. Like you are, uh, exactly, and, and you're, and you're very much not alone. And I'm, I'm so appreciative of, yeah, the kind of activism that, that you're on about. I just think it's like, you know, my, my, my brother's a really complicated human and needs 24 hour care for his whole life. He's not a person who can verbally advocate in the way that, that you and many others do. And I just feel so grateful that those voices are out there because they're they're obviously making a lot of space for him to be who he is but they're making space for me to be who I am too <laughs> i'm really grateful
0: thank you and one of the when i'm on social media one of the favorite type of accounts that i follow are uh, autistic folks who've just recently gotten access to open communication like who've just gotten access to letter boards and the first of all one of the first things almost all of them say is I've been able to understand you this whole time. Yeah, exactly. They just say it like in a nice way. Cause they've been like thinking about how to say it for a I've been listening but, like, Yeah. Yeah. Like I I've been aware of this the whole time and, and just how for me, like how personally impactful a lot of that writing is and a lot of it's poetry. Yeah. And that makes so much sense to me because my brain is a, an incredibly deeply poetic brain. And I can't get away from that way of mm-hmm. thought. I don't think in a lot of normal sentences, I, I, rest sentences out for people, but (laughs) 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 there's, there's a lot. Anyway, that's, that's just another thing I think about a lot is how, how closely my brain appears to be to a lot of nonverbal autistic folks who are, who are just starting to get access to open communication and how I think that also shines that light on, oh, like we've been doing this completely wrong this whole time. Yeah. not that people haven't been trying but you know that we were just we were just looking at it all wrong and yeah meanwhile a bunch of people who probably could have gotten a decent education and like done some cool stuff have just not had that access oh
1: my god so many and and also like i mean so much this world has been built by neurodivergent people and autistic Mm -hmm. people like you know like this is they're out here making shit. like that's always been true you know and it's we're we're so I don't know we feel like we're far into this journey i feel like it's like we're gonna look back and be like that was our understandings were so primitive back then <laughs> like yeah. i can't believe people were walking around with that primitive understanding yeah
0: totally so i would love to talk about the sort of I know this is a huge topic but the the sort of building a life and or career as an artist i know one of the things i've heard you talk about and that i'm now experiencing is that if you can make home ownership happen, obviously that is a <laughs> path forward. that's not a that's not a small step. but part of the reason i I try to highlight that when I talk about my own situation is that it it's not just the financial security and how how much that lays this foundation that I'm then able to work from, including when I was in a, a subsidized apartment through the mm-hmm. city of Boston, right like that was I didn't own that, but I was I knew I was paying seven hundred fifty dollars a month to live downtown. Yeah. so like, you know, Mm -hmm. fuck it. (laughs) I I could actually mm -hmm. like build towards something. Um, And then the, but the other side of it for me is the, the anxiety reduction has been just ridiculous. And Mm. um, anyway, I don't know if you would go in this direction, but for me, that foundation of safety has been, and then that, that sort of psychological space allows me the space to be creative. And when I don't Mm. have that, I just don't write. Like it's really hard to write when I don't have some basic safety. Yeah. And then I think people get down on themselves for like, oh, I'm not being I'm not making time to write. And I'm like, no, you're you're trying to survive in an f- impossible situation with no solution. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, big topic, but jump yes. into that wherever. Oh no, you- that's so well said. And and I do think of
1: I do think of these as design problems and not character problems. I do think productivity is a design problem. And and for me to design specifically for my body and spirit and mind is it's just not gonna look like everybody else's. And so what does it take? The great thing about working with artists, there's so many great things. But one thing is artists constantly make shit. They know what it what it means to be like, all right, here's a thing. I'm gonna make a thing, and now it exists. Like that process is not something everyone can do. Very <laughs> if you mostly hang out with artists, you might think that's normal. That is not a normal skill set. Very few people can imagine a thing that doesn't exist. And Do all of the experimenting and prototyping to then bring it into the world, usually for like zero money, right? That is, that's a superpower. And I just think about how we, how can we use that to, for example, design our working conditions, which I agree there, this culture makes very little space. Well, this culture constantly extracts the insights and ideas of artists, basically informs everything in our culture, but abandons us economically, which means that we don't have all of the supports that most people have at their jobs and we have to, figure out what, what do I need to make this work for me? I don't have, I might not have co-workers, I might not have hours, I might not have a space, I might not have the tools. What what makes me feel safe and creative? And particularly, as you said, when it's not working, instead of being like, there's something wrong with me, well, this is a design problem. How have I not designed this to work for me? Where, and what could I change? And artists are so brilliant at that. And most of what I do is just like, Hey y'all, let's do that on these other things. <laughs> let's do that on home ownership. Let's do that on our finances. Let's do that on like designing time and rhythm to work for us instead of some idea of capitalism or what we think artists should do or whatever the myth we carry around. Let's design around our actual bodies and our breath and and our minds. And I think that just when I hear you talk about home ownership, I'm like, yeah, that's like in terms of hard problems, like you solve way harder problems in your composing, right? Those are like complex, nonlinear problems. And homeownership's a challenge, but it's very linear and you can go through the steps and get to it. And that, yeah, I find that to be um, one of the gifts of working with artists. They just have that skill set inherently.
0: Another, I mean, this is a particular ADHD thing. I was just talking to a client about this last night uh, who started ADHD meds and had the holy shit, light bulb, what the fuck, how how have I waited so long for this moment? Which I never try to talk up too much, because obviously not everybody has that experience. But one of the things we were talking about, I'm going somewhere with this, is uh, that one of the things that ADHD meds can do, stimulant meds in particular, is make it so your system's side of your brain is turned down, and the executive function, I'm taking action right now side is turned up, which is very Mm -hmm. useful for productivity and taking action, but the little piece of the nugget i gave them was like hey if you plan your day before you take the med that's that's the only way i can do it if i take the med first my brain's just like well now i'm just doing whatever i'm doing but where i'm going with this as a as a kind of design thing and like the creativity of artists is and and i think a lot of adhd people too are just like immensely creative but don't necessarily have a an outlet or sort of the the design support around them to actually enact things. And especially if you tend strongly toward one side or the other, if that's strongly on the ideas side versus the mm-hmm. execution side, or if like mm-hmm. me, you go between those very strongly and they don't tend to overlap very much. Mm. Part of what that means is it's very, very hard to do big things alone because you have to be able to do all of those things. And so where I see artists, uh, like one of my collaborators, like, you know, doing these, all-nighters before, (laughs) before (laughs) we're trying to put a show up, you know, trying to do everything themselves. And like, I get, I get it from the funding side, but it's, I think it's also this, like, I, I like, I want to be able to use all of my skills and I have both of those skills. It just so happens that it's very hard to design a life where you actually get to like equally play with all of your interests and skills. Mm. Very, very hard. So, anyway, one of the things I've seen you do that I really admire are these kind of big blocks of time in your life where you've been like, well, now I'm working on these, this set of things. Okay, now that's either I'm done with that or I'm I'm like, you know, moving away from that to do this other thing. And that's like one form of life design that can work really well, as opposed to what I was trying to do for a long time, which was I'm just going to do everything simultaneously. (laughs) (laughs) And then everything is terrible. (laughs) And it's impossible to build a career.
1: <laughs> yeah and i'm having panic attacks which is like yep, literally, literally. Where, you know I ended, <laughs> I ended up in the hospital with like stress induced panic attacks like i
0: yeah,
1: yeah. so all that is Damn. to say like i'm this has so been a journey for me like i whatever i've ended up with has been through a lot of trial and error and a lot of uh tendency towards workaholism and overworking tendency towards stress anxiety based deadline pressures as a motivation tendency towards overambition and all of that reinforced by i think a lot of really toxic toxic particulars of the arts worlds that i was functioning in which which just reward burnout people brag about how busy they are people no one talks about taking time off <laughs> no one talks about breathing you know when i was in the hospital you know i come from dance i'm like we're about the body we're about like finding the truths of our body you know i'm not in the ballet world i'm in a world that's about like really caring and holding for what bodies really experience and And i parlay that into a stress-induced panic attack where i'm like on all these heart monitors like what's happening that my that what i truly believe is not manifesting in my life and i'm actually letting these other beliefs um carry that and i just see that constantly with artists we're just told i mean i just want to i just want to hold like the incredible negative messaging that artists are constantly receiving and on top of that any kind of neurodivergence has a whole other layer, you know, any perceived or diagnosed, it has a whole other layer of negative messaging. And and so I think to, I don't think we can ever, I don't think we can crawl out of this alone. I think we need each other. I think we need to be in conversation and to hear like, oh, I never thought of that. Wait, that's how you do that? Or like, oh, actually I have something useful that let me suggest this, maybe this is useful, like to, to realize that we both have solutions and we have a lot to learn and that, and that these aren't individual struggles. I mean, they're particular, they're individual in that sense, but they're they're these are systemic struggles. And we, yeah, the kind of like liberation and the kind of working lives we want, they're only possible if we organize and we do this together. Because no one, there's you can't bootstrap your way through late capitalism. I don't think. And the great thing, yeah, I just think one of the things that artists do offer. Often is like here's a model of what work means that is like really powerful that is not a toxic extractive capitalist idea of work it's a lifelong decades long generous practice where you're deepening your craft and your questions and then you're sharing it with the world like this is what everyone wishes work could be, and I think we can offer that to the world as a model, but partly we have to like be a little bit nicer to ourselves about all of it, and like you said, just figure out what what um what actually nourish, nourishes my practice and that's not going to look like anybody else's. And it might change over time. And it, my rhythm changed when I had kids and it's, you know, changing again now. Like these are, these are ongoing questions, but I just love that you do it, that you build a lot of circles in conversations, and conversations. And I try to build mine too. Cause I think that's more than any like advice. Like, I don't know what anyone should do. I don't, I don't know. I barely can figure out my own shit, but I think if we talk about it, <laughs> there's probably a lot of great, um, there's probably a lot of great inspiring possibilities we can all come up with,
0: yes, oh and 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 that part of I feel like what late stage capitalism has has poisoned in a lot of senses is this is this sense of just open community that no one is automatically paying for or being in charge of. like yeah. I think about hierarchy anyway, I, I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole because uh, I, I I really want to go to this other really big question that I feel like you're you've been weaving a little bit of this story <laughs> which is this movement from and I'm I'm I don't know two-thirds of the way through this process myself maybe as an artist this movement from ambition and what we think success is supposed to look like through a holy shit this is not working <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh yeah. you know tunnel at uh, out to oh right this is why I do this um, anyway, mm. I, I hear that kind of underlying, and I, I feel like a lot of people go through that journey. And I know that a lot of young artists—I'm 36, so I, I get that I'm young in in a sort of life sense, <laughs> but, <laughs> right? But I, but I'm ta- I'm thinking of me as like like in college, like there's this really strong drive for fame and a mm. really particular kind of recognition. And what we want is not fame, because I didn't actually want attention. Anytime I got attention, I was like, oh no, this is terrible. <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop perceiving me. <laughs> Never mind. But there what what I wanted was validation of my work and and the ability to build a career around it. Mm. And it seemed like fame and you know what fortune you can glean <laughs> in mm-hmm. the arts was a pathway toward that. And so anyway, I I'm very curious about your journey around like that that overwork and uh you mentioned ambition mm. and i don't know if the panic attack stuff was like a the changing point but yeah very curious to hear more about that journey
1: hmm. I'm gonna take a breath for a second so i i worked with two collaborators to start this dance company and from the beginning i feel like the our conversations were always about How can this be useful like how can this how can having a dance company be useful to philadelphia in particular (laughs) how can we be of service which sounds funny when you're like you're a modern dance company that's the opposite of useful but i think we always had a sense of this question and this work is so important and it's, it's too important to just keep to dance people like this is something we want to engage with all kinds of people in and that that sense of mission and purpose was always to me the counterweight to the career ambition i do think that artists start off mission-driven. We have something we want to bring into the world and then share. And that's that's a kind of generosity. That's an offering. And then sometimes we get turned around into being career driven because there are so few signposts in an artist's journey, and it's hard to know, am I doing it? Am I doing it well? And careers are important, but I just don't think they are the thing. I think of them like scaffolding when you're going to build a house. You need a scaffold. But it's not a house you know and if you spend all your time on the scaffold you end up with a pretty scaffold (laughs) nowhere to live and i think the conversations among artists very oftentimes feed that i think we can often be our worst uh we can we can create a negative conversation (laughs) with each other by talking in ways that are competitive and zero-sum so for me the sense of mission was always the counterweight to the career stuff but for it to work Financially it, it I felt like I had to work frantically and constantly and without regard for my own well being. I was the fundraiser for the company and so you know that was that felt like a constant pressure. And, and then we had people on salary, and then those people had families, and there's a sense of like, okay, this isn't just like I'll write a grant and maybe we'll make a dance, won't that be cool? This is like, you know, people won't people won't have jobs and uh that pressure yeah, that pressure is really what led to the sort of panic attack moment. But I also had a moment when I, when my first kid, Jesse was born, where things really simplified for me in terms of the mission. And I was like, okay, more awesome art going out in the world made by more thriving artists. Like that's kind of what I care about. And I'm one of those artists. I want my art going out in the world. I want to be okay. I want to be thriving, but I'm not the only, I'm not the only one I care about. And I'm not I actually want to make structures that lift me and us up because i really can to me that piece of like having more of that out in the world and more of us being not just okay but really really strong in in our work that was the kind of clarifying of the mission and it allowed me to cut away a lot of stuff that i think i was wasting not wasting but i was spending a lot of my time and energy on and really simplify down to I only I am only allowed to do three things. This is how I keep out of the hospital. <laughs> Everyone has different systems, because I left my dance company and I was like, oh great, I'm going to be so relaxed. I'll be taking time. I'll be breathing. And then like six months later, I was totally stressed out again because I had taken on like nine little side projects. You know, I'd said yes to these like little, but there's no such thing as a side project. There's just a project. <laughs> so I had nine projects, and I realized like, okay, I really can only do. I have to limit the number of things I do, and there's three and one is writing my novels, one is this work I do with artists. So really there's only one slot that's ever open. And it means that I have a a universal no for everything else. And that clarifying what I wanted to do and put out in the world, which was much simpler once I had a kid in the way, allowed me to say the amount of no I needed to, to be in a better place. And I am, I am in like The secret news of my life is like, my rhythm is like amazing right now. And I'm kind of, the. I don't want to jinx it. (laughs) I'm like, this is perfect. And partly the pandemic, which was like so, everything moving online is kind of my nightmare. I'm not a digital person. I'm off social media for like political reasons, but also to protect my own attention and, and focus. But then being able to do some of this work online and being able to make connections far beyond my local community, like it actually led to all these possibilities. So I have a great rhythm right now. And constantly being in conversation with artists is a way for me to remind myself that the recognition piece, well, all right, I'll say two things. One is we used to be like, oh, if we just get this one thing, if our company gets this one thing, then we're going to be good, we all set. And then like sometimes we get the thing, And we'd be like, oh shit, it's just us still, just here like making it up every day. Okay, it's that's still what it's gonna be forever. Like it really doesn't that myth that there's some discovery moment, that there's like some moment where you get discovered and you make it. You know, in artists you we say no one is coming, there's no saviors coming. That is just a myth. But also I feel like talking to it's so easy when I talk to other artists to see like the value and power of what they're working on. And then to to see them desperate for some the recognition of a stranger who might even be kind of an asshole like that that's what they're waiting on so the question i always ask is like what okay again design problem seeing your momentum and your belief in your work as a design problem like what do you actually need and to me it turns Mm. out what i need is two conversations a week with people who i am close to doesn't have to be like super close but that i actually know and trust have a trust-based relationship that are about my writing, and they have to be people who read my writing and like it. If I have that, then whatever happens with the grants and the gigs and the lada yada yada is not it doesn't matter, so partly, I think we don't we we chase these things because we don't realize that what we actually the validation and momentum we actually need is actually might be close at hand. It might be something that that feeds us. I don't think the love of strangers ever feeds anyone, and I know enough people who are famous yeah. to know that it's. It's not only is it not sustaining; it, it can be quite, quite confusing. Um, so, what does what actually validates me and what actually gives me momentum? I think that's a question we just haven't asked as a community of artists enough. And very often we're able to. It, it's right here. It's like each other. You know, we we started this thing called Artist Thank You Day just because we were like, just thank another artist for their work because that that matters to you. Like just just say that because there's nothing better than another artist for me than another artist saying hey your work really matters to me and how this is how it does that's like i could live off that for a month like you know i don't care what happens in the grant applications after
0: that yeah same and that's uh, the i'm laughing about the no one is coming because it's also like no one's coming to your little concert uh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I had that feeling But like, as someone who writes kind of weird music, that a lot of what I write is, is, uh, you know, particular, there's a reason I've ended up scoring horror films, right? Um,
1: (laughs) So good.
0: uh, I write weird stuff and most people don't like it and that's okay. Um, And most people don't, uh, are so far from liking it that they don't even know what to say. It's it's really funny when, when, you know, like, (laughs) it's like, oh, it's. It, it's it's instruments like <laughs> there are sounds, I can I'm, hear I'm, sounds. like I could hear I could hear people trying to like form sentences that that sound like sentences but anyway um just just that like that I can do that I can make stuff that most people don't like because I have that sustaining you know nourishing close community of a few people who really like what I do and give me good feedback that feels meaningful, you know, yeah. not just, Oh, I like it, but you know, like, Oh, you know, this, there's too many ideas, right. Or, or you know, like there's <laughs> that this, this change feels good, but this other transition feels like not like part of the yeah. piece, right. Like, like really specific things from like, Oh yeah. Like it, where I feel like I can be pursuing mastery in my own style and what I'm doing, mm-hmm. which also means I've developed somewhat of a style i don't feel like I'm, I'm certainly not done i don't feel like i'm writing my mature work but i feel like there's there's some stuff there that's been very consistent for 20 years and that's great mm, that's <laughs> amazing. That. and like i don't need the i don't need everyone to see that and reflect that back to me i'm not offended when people listen to my stuff and are like uh no thank you <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, just a tight circle of, of those folks who, who get it and can give kind of meaningful conversations. Conversation is something that's when I feel isolated and unsure in my practice, it's usually because I don't feel like I have anyone that I can really latch into those conversations with and have the back and forth and feel like what they're saying makes sense to me and vice versa, Mm -hmm. you know, and where. Like, it's very different than me saying things or trying to explain what I was trying to do and just having people be like, I don't get it. Um, Or another good example, I think, is uh, even of the poetry I've had published, I feel like the number one comment I've gotten from people I know is, I like it, but I don't get it. When I think I've written something incredibly straightforward, I'm like it's short, it's got a theme. I think it's very (laughs) obvious. Yes, am, am I doing a lot with, you know, like, syllables but i don't know like, mm-hmm. like have i have i maybe you know overworked the text a little i don't know but anyway it's just funny that when i do something that i'm like this is so straightforward and like emotional and to the point and people are still just like i don't get it that's just the, the yeah. i'm i'm getting used to this yeah. um anyway that's a that's a whole side can Tangent. i ask you
1: like when <laughs> like how many you said like those people who kind of really get your music work and like you can mm-hmm. have a
0: good convert? like how many are there oh now that i'm think so. Um, zero in terms of everything that I do. So that's the thing is it's, it's, it is segmented even within music. It's segmented with different things that I do. Um, my nesting partner is very supportive and likes most of what I do, but isn't necessarily like a go-to person for those actual deep conversations, even though they are musicians, so they're capable of it, but like they do very different music. Um, and then I have a couple Friends from grad school who I feel like are very much in the same wavelength or like, compo- and actually I have one composer friend who's uh, twice my age, but just we're, we're super on the same wavelength and like agree about everything. So mm-hmm. it's probably, you know, one of my go-to people for that. Um, and probably one of the most useful feedback type mentor people. Uh, but that said, that's only for, again, that kind of slice of what I'm doing. And if I were doing like when I do songwriting or something, I, I probably wouldn't send that to him. So again, it's, it's interesting thinking about that because I was like, oh, that's and, and that's one, uh, you know, when we have these uh, imaginary arrival points in our mind, one of mine is actually a person. I'm like, I want a person. And when I was younger, I thought it was going to be like a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm just like, I don't care who it is. I just want one person <laughs> who understands and can have these conversations with me about my entire creative life. And I can find that in the form of like a coach or mentor or someone who I'm like paying or who, you know, like, mm. like I can get that aspect of it. But the sort of peer, you know, just feeling completely understood and like people are getting what I'm trying to do, I have never found that ever across my whole work. And that, that is an isolating feeling. Yeah. But I, don't have any kind of, and I've even tried. I've literally written ads on dating apps, being like, "I'm looking for people to talk to about my art because I'm trying to <laughs> find people." Who like. Oh my god, I love that. And that didn't work at all. So anyway, was,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know who did that. bring? who came? Who responded to that? That's amazing. That's the best ad I've ever heard. Well, I, I I really appreciate you being so specific about it because it it is um one thing I've seen and like I get to talk to thousands of artists. This is like the amazing thing about seats where i am putting myself in is that i get to talk to so many very different kinds of artists but one thing i've seen is that um a huge secret quiet piece of artists really thriving in their work and their lives is what is how that conversation is going and whether it's going and we don't talk about that a lot like we look at people's success and like they're really successful but in my experience if that person doesn't have that conversation it can feel very hollow and by contrast someone who has that robust conversation but isn't getting a lot of spotlight is like yes this has momentum i'm seen i'm going to keep deepening this work because um i have fellow travelers travelers here going with me and i just think that like it doesn't take a ton of people but having asking that question what's the conversation that i want around my work and how how can i build that and, and who's who's already there for me and like you said it might be segmented it might be certain kinds of work I think that's a really powerful question to ask because i again i think of that as something that we we can do for each other you know and ourselves like it's i'm I'm really i'm really exhausted by systems change and i'm really much more interested in the things we already have and one thing we have and we can offer other artists is that thing that is so valuable which is a, a deep authentic conversation about the work and As you know, and many artists know, like you can, as a performing artist, sometimes you'll do a whole show and the audience will love it. And then you'll go home and be like, it still feels a little empty. Like they clapped, they cheered, they got on their feet, but I didn't, I feel like I didn't quite get that connection. Yeah. So I I wonder how, I'm also curious how, how neurotypes impact that too. Like how, how people can find, how can you build the conversation around your work that also really holds space for the way your cognition and your body work? because those are so different. And so many of our models for talking about art are very critical and kind of about pointing, you know, ripping things to shreds and crits and that whole model. So what is, yeah, what are models we can make that, that hold our artistry and hold our, ourselves?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. I'm going to, I'm going to think on that, (laughs) but I don't, I know for me, one of the difficulties in, finding and actually being a part of those conversations with people who are tangentially or casually engaged with me or Mm -hmm. my work is that they're often offering, like, I don't want to sound condescending, but they're saying things I thought of when I was 10 years old. Like a question I asked myself so long ago that it's not even a part of my process anymore. I'm like, I've worked through that. (laughs) And like, and that's, you know, another side comment, a lot of, uh, gifted ADHD folks experience in therapy as well as like, oh, you're just saying things to me. I, I literally thought of independently as a small child, <laughs> like just in, in in one of my first three existential crises of grade school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was in yeah. second
1: grade. And then I refined it in fourth grade, got much exactly. more sophisticated. Hopefully you'll get to that point someday.
0: <laughs> and so as an artist, it can be, it can be really difficult when you're trying to find or engage the conversation and part of what you're getting is questions or feedback that that you've like very thoroughly processed. But it can be it's a lot I also get why people don't just want to dive super deep and like be asking you super deep questions, not knowing if you're anywhere near the core of that work. Yeah. So it's it's hard, I think, to find the right depth for you and the other person and one of the only ways I found through that is, is just longer term relationships. Mm-hmm. So I have like, I have an artist friend who uh, we've been talking more or less every other week for, I think, well over a year, actually, I'm not sure how long, but it feels like a long time. <laughs> um, and we just called it little, we were like, it's our little mastermind detox, right? It's our little, we're, we're kind of, we have some overlapping um, kind of levels in our career. And so we we're kind of like, this is, but we have different businesses. So we are like, this is really useful mm. um, to kind of, talk about, work through, and then uh, that person has been able to give me incredibly specific, useful feedback because hearing me talk about my stuff and what's working and what's not working, right, having that outside perspective from someone over a longer period of time is so, so different than, because I come in hot with a ton of ideas all the time. I'm like a, I'm an idea, just fountain. (laughs) And, and I'll just, and again, I'm just like you with the nine projects. I'm like, Oh, it'll just be a little, I'll just do this like real yeah. quick. I'll just do this like a little bit. real quick, just off. a little bit. And then it's, that's not how life works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say, looking at my unfinished Ikea furniture, that's <laughs> filling my entire office floor. Right now. <laughs> oh, it's so uh, good.
1: <laughs> I, yeah. I do think of that as like a, it's both a magnet and a filter. Like part of what we have to do is build the conversations we want, but also I have to filter out some conversations I don't want. I don't mm-hmm. I don't for example read online reviews of my books. I'm not I'm not interested in that relationship because I know how that will affect me and it's not good. It's not helpful mm-hmm. and I don't have a trust-based connection to those people. So, yeah, how do we um it's not just let's talk way more. It's like let's let's talk a lot less in the ways that don't move <laughs> us forward and a lot more in the ways that do. And I think of that like I don't know, it's like with your work, you're saying it's really not for everybody and that's so good things that are for everybody are for nobody like they don't that's not a thing everything how do we make our work also a magnet and a filter that draws its two its true followers and isn't just like everybody come love this that that, that's not never the case and the more i get comfortable with that the more i'm like oh my work is for it's for the people who it's for it's really fucking for but it's not for everybody and that's like a capitalism doesn't understand that capitalism understands numerical (laughs) likes and clicks, right? We, we, don't, we don't have a way of measuring depth, and we don't have a way of measuring the, the long-term stuff you're talking about. I would just love to be in a room where 20 artists it's just described exactly what you just described, which is like, what are the conversations that actually really nourish me? Who are they with? How often do they happen? How did I find them? And what are the, and what are the conversations that I really can't stand? And how do I get away from them? Because I think we're already doing this in so many ways. We just don't realize how important it is to ourselves and each other you know that person playing that role for you is just so essential
0: yeah and and we all i mean certainly with my neurotype i feel like i may maybe a little more specific on what i need from this but everyone needs something from that conversation and needs it to be you know, maybe needs feedback presented in a particular way, or, or is looking only for feedback on a really narrow slice of things or no feedback, just wants mm-hmm. positive reinforcement because they're feeling like shit today. Right? Like yeah. this, We all have needs. And I feel like part of what happens with both multiply neurodivergent people and well, and traumatized people and artists is that we've all experienced being told that our needs don't even make sense. Let let alone. Not only is no one going to meet, meet them, but like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, yeah, you're what, wrong. What, yeah, what, you're, <laughs> those not are what not you your need. needs. Exactly, that's <laughs> not what you need. You need this thing over here. Have some ABA. Like, there's <laughs> yes, and and being being told for your whole life that your needs don't even aren't aren't even explicable and don't make sense is so alienating and gaslighting. And like, I've had, I've I've now just had my my second uh, big cry about somebody giving me the really specific gift that i wanted Hmm. and it's also in part my my shitty parents are like offensively bad gift givers it's like they want you to know that they don't like you when they give you (laughs) it's like a it's like a diss but um uh Anyway, but so there's that, but the, but beyond that, like, even as, as an adult, but like as a, you know, as an artist, who's just like done a bunch of stuff by myself, I went so far in the uh, independent, it's fine, I'll just do it myself. I don't have needs, you know, I just, I don't need anything Uh, and, and moving, like softening from that and allowing more help. There's this huge emotional, I don't know, turbulence for me around being given exactly what I'm asking for, because there's this part of me that's like, that's never gonna happen. <laughs> I'm never gonna get that. and if I do, it's not gonna actually like feel good or so when i when I have the experience of not only being given exactly what I've asked for, but like in a way that's in the way that I want it and somebody obviously mm. caring for me and like actually caring about how I feel about it and then it's like the whole package of all of that, like I just I, it, it fucks me up every time
1: wow! because it's That's so amazing.
0: special and rare and it's touching this particular like multiply wounded part of me mm. as a traumatized neurodivergent artist <laughs> you know?
1: with parents who gave gifts yeah, as, with, with as a form of <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's incredible
1: my my dear artist friend magdalena Semyon, amazing performing artist just mind-blowing i was having an online book launch which is like the most depressing phrase i've ever said right and she was like what do you really want out of this and i was like well i want people to feel she's like no no no, not what do you want them what do you actually want and you need to be really specific with me because she was going to sort of host and emcee it and i was like well okay people who have read anything i've written can i would love to hear praise or if they have questions <laughs> uh people who follow my dance making life." I would love praise or questions around that and then if it's like family or loved ones they can just like share that they love me and so she got on the mic and she's like so here's the three things that you can do you're allowed if you've read his writing you're allowed to ask a question or say that you really liked it and specifically how you liked it same with his dancing and if you're a family member you can just spread love that's it and everyone was like oh great all the hands went up everyone was like thank god now someone told us instead of the awkward silence everyone was like i got something to share i have a question and then we literally had an online book launch that, like you said, it gave me exactly what I wanted. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this, I didn't know that was possible. I just thought I had to sort of like manage everyone else's anxieties and hopefully escape without feeling like shit. I was like, "That!" thank you, Magda. You made me say it out loud. And then everyone, what really struck me was how relieved everyone else was. Everyone was like, oh, that's what that's what you want? That's actually not that hard. And I was like, really? Really? And then I had my cry moment, like you said.
0: Well, and, and the, the relief of the audience being able to participate in that way, like we're all sitting here as both participants and creators, being like, Am I doing it right? Is it landing? Are people getting it? Like, are we having the dialogue that I'm trying to create here? And part of the problem, and I know you've you've written about this about the the sort of like critique end in the art world and how we handle that, is that part of what people are told they're supposed to be doing when they're getting up to the mic to ask a question is they're supposed to be sounding smart. Yes. So they're supposed to have engaged with the thing, understood the thing, understood the history and the blah, blah, and be able to ask these like really amazing targeted questions. That's fucking stressful. Oh, oh That's not cool or fun. That's not engaging with me as a person. <laughs>
1: like, no. And that desire. Yeah. I think that's so well said. And it, it stops even being about the work at a certain mm-hmm. point. Like the work is completely absent and that I think that question, what's the conversation right now you want to have about the thing you're working on? It, it's so different at different phases. You know, mm-hmm. we, I used to, we started this program called the Headlong Performance Institute, which was sort of a, an intensive semester for young artists. And most of that whole program was like figuring out how can we talk about the work and how can you set the parameters for the conversation you want that's appropriate to the phase of the work? You know, if you're in the experimental developmental phase, you can't what happens is people show a little something, and then everyone critiques it like it's a finished piece, and
0: they're like, "Well, yeah, stop shitting the, on my baby."
1: <laughs> yeah, and you're like, "This isn't even a thing. Like what do you mean? The, we don't have costumes. Stop talking about our sweatpants. like people talk about it in the wrong way, but partly that's because we haven't said the conversation we want, and that getting to know that, getting to know the conversation honestly that you want, and being really transparent with myself about that, that has been a huge journey, but I think it's I totally think you're right. I think everyone else. That makes everyone feel so comfortable and it means they can contribute something instead of like you said trying to sound smart or being afraid of not sounding smart or um imposing here's what i would do with it onto the piece which is not what you're asking yeah exactly uh, so-
0: <laughs> i would have made a completely
1: different artwork <laughs> exactly <laughs> sounds like you should go do that then don't 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 make my piece into that one but that that question is again like to me that's the thing we can do with each other you know and for ourselves like that is we don't have to wait for gatekeepers we don't have to wait for resources that's not about the systems that is the you know do it do it ourselves replace the diy with the d d D i o (laughs) yeah that that i think i just want to say like i if you know an artist and you really connect to their work and you have something specific to say about it go fucking say it like right now like put it in email leave a voicemail make a voice memo like you can't imagine how important that is to that artist. That is like, that is the most nourishing stuff. And you'd be shocked how rarely the artists get it.
0: So true. And don't assume that they're already hearing this all the time because they're so yeah. talented, which is the the problem that like when when people think, oh, you're so good at this that you know you're so good at it and you don't need any positive right. feedback. Yeah. That's <laughs> when I'm like, oh, I guess I'll just stop singing then. Like, <laughs> no one cares. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah. And I will say people at, at the highest levels, they are the most mistrustful of what they're being told. So yeah. to have an actually grounded, honest conversation is like, yeah, it's like rain in the desert.
0: Absolutely. And, and I also love, uh, I want to just expand on what you said about, you know, this is a conversation we can be having, like we can, we can do this in other areas of our life as well. Like this mm-hmm. week with my therapist, I was like, Hey, like it, she was kind of like, you know, what, what direction you want to go? And I was like, "This is the kind of conversation I want to have about this. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm hoping to get out of it because, like, we only have so much time, and I'm I'm trying to like get something here." Right? So, like, you can you can set expectations around your needs or or requests around your needs doesn't mean they're going to get filled, but like in yeah. just about any context, and often the other person will be relieved that you've asked and oh, that you've yeah. made it clear, so they're not just sort of fumbling around hoping something will land.
1: Oh my god, yeah. And I I think especially with artists like in my experience working with artists, them getting what they need and want is not the hard thing. It's knowing it. It's figuring it out. <laughs> Once they figure it out and know it and name it and write it down, I'm always amazed by how quickly that they can manifest it. Because they're artists. They manifest. That's their thing. But knowing it, that is that's a lifelong learning. Oh my gosh, that is such a harder question, and we don't think of that as our question because under capitalism, it's like, oh, you want, I want this, I want that, I want that. But to actually be real about it and not just the inherited ideas about what you might want—that is, whew, I got a lot. I got to talk to my therapist now too.
0: Yeah, right. Is what I want. <laughs> and and that part of what we're designing and working toward to kind of pull some threads together here is, is not just the end result that we're hoping for, but it's the process because certainly as an artist, if you don't enjoy the process of your work, don't fucking do it. Not that you have to love every project. Sometimes we do things because we're getting paid and we're just getting through it. But like, if you don't enjoy the basic process of what you're doing, but you used to Mm. figure that out, like that's a design Mm. and systems problem. If you don't like the process, but you love the results, like, okay, maybe that's something you can work with. But if you're not liking the result or the process, you maybe need to rethink some shit pretty deeply. You know, there's a reason I'm not a violinist anymore either. Like
1: (laughs) yes, I hated
0: it. And my motor problems made it so that no matter how much I practiced, I was never going to be at the level I wanted to be. I was putting in the hours and it was just, my body could not, I'm, I'm better at violin than someone who doesn't play violin you know, but, but like, I was never going to be at the level I wanted and the process was frustrating and hurt. Mm. So the results weren't working wow. and the physical process sucked. It literally hurt. It yes. Was literally Li- it's a, hurt. it's a terrible, it's, <laughs> physically, it's a torture device. especially when you play so much so young, cause it like changes your body. Um, and I started when oh, I was four really? and I was a violent performance major when I was 15. So yeah, it was, it was in a bad, it was in a bad way oh, physically. Gosh. Anyway, that's a whole other story, but that is to say, I would not have stopped except that I was in a car accident and couldn't play for a while, started singing. And I was like, oh, well, it's fucking way easier than violin. Oh my God, I do this. Um, and then I started composing. I was like, this is even easier than all the other things I've ever done. <laughs> and like, there's this, I don't know. I feel like I've been thinking about this a lot, the, the way we think about cause and effect and how retrospectively, especially looking at an artist, an artist retrospective, when you're at the gallery or the performance, it's very easy to look back at that person's life and go oh look this thing led to this thing look at these little stepping stones but that's not how it feels when you're in it there are no visible stepping stones you are building mm-hmm. it and putting it down yourself <laughs> which is again like a systems and you know design problem and we cannot do it alone that element of it that particular element of being able to see i don't know whether it's you know pulling the stepping stone out of the, the water or creating it mm-hmm. placing it whatever your metaphor is but like making the next step is is so hard when there's just if you're in the middle of the ocean and you're looking around and you're like i don't even see any yeah i'm, I'm not great at metaphors but <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and there's everyone uh, i just wanted to lift up what you said too about i feel like i was hearing you talk about like kind of becoming who you actually are as an artist in person which mm-hmm. is the wonderful thing about and there's a lot of challenges being an artist, but one of the wonderful things it is that it's this wonderfully profound, reflexive, resilient practice that, over years and decades, like allows you to keep engaging with these questions and becoming sort of more who we are, who we are as a maker, who we are as a human, who we are in our rhythm, in our day, in our body, in our mind, and that is a kind of liberation and emancipation that I feel like I really hear in all the work you're doing, and I just again really appreciate. And I feel like that's a that's a piece that we um there's a terror to become and step into who we really are. <laughs> there's a fear. And so to realize that we're all we're all doing that together, and we're not the only person, you know, we're not the only person who's like, well, I've been told my needs are ridiculous and they're not even my needs. And I have to but I'm actually gonna step into them and own them and meet them and request them. And that that requires, I feel like the kind of solidarity that that allows us to have the collective courage to do that is so important because you It's not just that I don't know where the next step is, that's really important, but it's also that because my culture hasn't given me a way to know myself and value myself as an artist, I have to really dig deep. And if if you're here with me digging deep and I see you over there digging deep, like it's so much easier. It's so hard to do that alone and to feel like either I'm wrong or I'm alone, which I am neither.
0: Yay. (laughs) (laughs) This feels like a good segue to ask. How can people, how can artists work with you, find your work? You know, obviously we'll we'll link everything. What would you like to share with folks?
1: Yeah. uh, So the work I do with artists is called Artists U and you can Google it. There's a free book I wrote called Making Making Your Life as an Artist. You can download for free. Um, All of Artists U is open source. So take it, use it, co-opt it, twist it. It's movement building work, not brand building work. So please use it. In whatever ways makes sense um i do some a lot of this is community organizing work so a lot of times i'm really working in specific contexts and with with specific circles and it's long term Mm -hmm. and it's so uh not everything is open to everyone but then i do workshops that are that are open online um i do in-person workshops in philadelphia and baltimore doing some ongoing work as well up in massachusetts Probably the best way to follow me is to join the email list that you talked about, which you can find on the website. And um, I don't do the social media, so that's really the only place I communicate in that format. Yeah, and then I I write fiction, and my novel a Night Twice as Long that I mentioned earlier that's that came out last year. And uh, my next novel is sitting here in a big pile of papers, and hopefully that will be out someday soon too.
0: I'm annoying. So I just had the thought I'm going to read your novel and then I'm going to read my review of it on the podcast that so you'll hear it. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I think we could do that performatively and then I could Yeah, right.
1: Then I would be like, "Oh, actually if all the reviews were this good, I should be reading them." And then I'd go online and realize that your review is much better than everyone else's and I should I still have to actually filter out who I listen to because
0: because <laughs> <laughs> it turns out not everybody uh is worth listening to the same amount for everyone. Yeah. Amen amen oh and and just like last kind of side thought i know this is a bit tangential but i've been thinking so much lately about how just the the quantity of information that not only am i sort of forced to take in because of the pace of society but that also that i want to take in because i'm such an information sponge and so it's it's becoming increasingly important to me to take in higher quality information instead of quantity and for example, one of the ways I've been doing that is when there's somebody's uh, newsletter who I love, like yours. I have that filtered in different ways, kind of depending on topic. So into into, so I don't actually see it in my inbox. But then when I have time to read, mm. I sit and I will read, you know, these emails on a topic for 45 minutes, which is why you know sometimes people get a response from me two months after they send it. <laughs> now I'm actually reading it, but that I'm able to take in the the information that I want from people that I like and trust in a, in a format at a time that works for me, as opposed to just simply receiving missives that are coming at Mm me at any time, you know, maybe interrupting my actual creative thoughts, which happens to me all the time. I'm like, I'm like sitting down to write something down, but then if I'm doing it on my computer and I happen to open email, anyway, this is (laughs) (laughs) again, it's a design problem. Um, So yeah, I, I really like the community building aspect, the, what do I need as an artist, as a person, as a neurodivergent person? Like what actually nourishes me? and And I love the word momentum because I feel like when people don't have a sense of momentum or progress, it can be very small. But if you're not seeing that connection between the day-to day and the life you want, it can feel like it's just not worth it because yeah. everything sucks. and like maintenance tasks are, so boring but (laughs) right yeah well we're taught taught to blame ourselves too
1: right i Mm -hmm. mean capitalism teaches you that there's something wrong with you and you need to fix it and like procrastination is a character flaw but it's not it's a design problem and and the i think particularly with artists and i think particularly with neurodivergent people like those messages are really really punishing and i I just think like if you don't have momentum you haven't done anything wrong (laughs) that's literally what the culture sort of wants to do to artists so what does it mean to, um, if you were someone that you really, really loved dearly, how would you build the container around that person and their work, you know? And if you're, like, if your to-do list is so long that you would never give it to someone you love, like, maybe don't give it to yourself. <laughs> like, what would it mean <laughs> to kind of hold your practices specifically how you do them, you know? Like you said with the gift, like, if this is a specific holding of who you are. And, um... That 's a piece that i I find when artists do that like momentum is automatic that, that that momentum has nothing to do with whether I care about the art or whether i'm motivated it, it it really has to do with setting the conditions and the conditions are often not that I'm not saying they're easy, but they're often not massively hard I don't see artists be like, "Well, I need to be living alone in a castle for six months before I can start writing they're usually these simple like hand to hand things that we that are in our, and I say hour because I think it is all of us, they're within our power to change. We don't have to wait for them. And so I just love your little email hack. It's like you're hacking that system to make it work for you. You're not like letting the algorithms decide what you look at and when and who's what the weight various things are given. You're like, I'm giving more weight to these and I'm going to read them in this moment. Like that is, I'm going to now steal that. But also, <laughs> like, what a great example of how you're designing for your, your own momentum.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Okay. This is awesome. I I do want to ask just because I feel like we've touched on so many topics and I think you have an absolute wealth of wisdom. (laughs) Is there, okay. And and you can take a moment to think about this, but is there anything that you feel like, okay, this is pressing on your mind or you want to make sure people hear this, that can be like wrapping up something. It can be a new idea, but just, is there, is there anything that you feel like is just bubbling up that you're just like, I want to make sure people take this away at the end?
1: Okay, well, two things that I really think are under-recognized as being powerful resources for artists' lives. I think the like starving artist and money—you never gonna make money—like that gets talked about a lot. But I actually don't think, in the long term, I think there are actually other resources that tend to be make or break and tend to determine whether, over decades, you're flourishing or not. And one of those is, like I said, the conversation around your work and how connected you are to people, artists and non-artists, and in a robust, rigorous, positive conversation around the work massively determines, in my experience, artists' journeys and their well-being through the journey. And the other is setting up your rhythm, setting up your time, designing your time to actually suit you and not to suit the art world or the fast rhythm of seasons and six months and years and grant things and not to fit the productivity myths of capitalism, but to actually nourish how your body and mind and spirit work. Those two things massively, in my experience, massively shape artists' journeys. And they don't get talked about as much as the money or the recognition thing. But I'll be honest, those money and recognition do not, in my experience, massively determine whether an artist is flourishing or not. And I'm not saying money's not important, and I'm not saying recognition is not important. But rather, I see artists who have those who are flourishing or not flourishing, I see artists who don't have those who are flourishing and not flourishing, but I don't see a lot of artists who haven't figured out their time design and their and built a conversation that are flourishing. And the great thing is those are free.
0: <laughs> yes. I feel like that's a, I'm I'm on a huge kick of that right now. I'm like, okay, here's this thing over here you can buy, but also this is a thing you can just have. Like <laughs> you and your friends can you are, do yeah. it. You can just do it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Awesome. This has been such a great conversation. I'm going to be thinking about this a lot. I'm very excited. And uh, hey, friends, I really try to keep these episodes under an hour because in my own ADHD brain, that is just a line over which it feels like I'm not even going to listen to an episode. So Andrew and I kept talking for another 20 minutes. He asked me some really great personal questions about how I navigate in my relationship, my partner doing a lot of stuff for me. Um, We also talk a little bit about Andrew's Audi HD kid. And anyway, it's, it's a really lovely bit of conversation. And if you would like the full link that is over in the Patreon. So like your brain and the podcast support tier link is in the show notes if you would like to go listen to that. And I will talk to you next week. Thanks for being here and taking a moment for yourself. I hope the episode sparks some ideas or possibilities for your own journey. If you're looking for gentle ongoing support, I invite you to join the Like Your Brain community. It's a non-hierarchical and no pressure space to share our lived experiences together and learn from each other. Ask authentic questions, share your own wisdom, and be a part of building a safer space for folks with identities that are often marginalized. And if you're not yet ready to be seen in a group space, we've all been there. You can join the podcast support tier, which has a private podcast feed with some of the learnings from Like Your Brain and additional podcast content, so you can absorb on your own terms and timeline. We're here whenever you're ready. The link is in the show notes or at patreon.com/matia. That's p a t r e o n.com/m a t t i a. Have a great week.